The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. What is the greatest lesson heartbreak has taught you? Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Amy Chan's Breakup Bootcamp is a weekend experience for people who've had their hearts broken, or just can't figure out why they struggle to find and maintain relationships that feel healthy to them. And it's truly focused on the science of rewiring your heart. After giving up her work, home, time, and energy for what she thought was a promising relationship that ultimately ended, Amy realized she was following a set of patterns that had everything to do with her and little to do with the other person in the relationship. And it affected every area of her life when her heart broke. She hit what she considers rock bottom and chose to climb out and lift others by understanding and sharing all she could about the science of relationships, our hearts, and how to rewire them after a breakup. Her boot camp has been featured in the New York Times and Fortune magazine, and her recent book, Breakup Boot Camp, captures everything you need to know. Now, I wanted to talk to Amy because our hearts can break in so many scenarios outside of romance. Heartbreak can extend to work, friends, expectations, and major life changes. And her book is an answer to understanding and rewiring our hearts while empowering ourselves. So we're talking about hearts today because, well, we take them with us everywhere we go. Here's Amy's story. I do believe, even though I wrote a book on breakups, it's not just about a breakup. A breakup is acute pain that is a catalyst for someone to seek something as intense as a breakup boot camp. Mm-hmm. But it's really about our patterns and our patterns are our habits of how we relate to ourselves, which trickles into all of our relationships, whether they're professional, platonic or romantic. Yep. I feel like the relationship we have with ourselves is the most important relationship. And if we keep troubleshooting all these other things, the environment, the dating apps, whatever it is, we bypass the actual thing that will make a difference and impact our lives so that we can live fully. And Mm -hmm. so I do believe that the broken heart is like a weapon. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes it's not a romantic heartbreak, but it's a heartbreak from when we were a child that we weren't included. And those wounds carry with us wherever we go, whether it's in work or friendship or romance. Mm -hmm. So I love that point about the broken heart being like a weapon. What do you mean? Yeah. So if you think about anyone you've ever felt hurt from, whether it's been an ex, whether it's been uh, a boss, (laughs) whether it's been a friend uh, or a family member, a hurt person will take their pain and it's like hot potato. They will throw it as a way to release that pain. So that Mm -hmm. will come in blame. It will come in attack. It will come in aggression. And it really comes down to they are a hurt person inside. Mm -hmm. And there's some residual heartbreak there. And so if we don't heal that wound, if we don't heal that heart, we will continue to hurt people along the way. 
And so I think the same thing when we have a healed heart, instead of throwing pain and this negative charge at other people, we inspire, we emanate light and inspiration and empowerment. I know your book is about a change in relationship, but um, I love that you're also alluding to it's like our heart can break for many reasons. It can break with unmet expectations. It can break in, you know, relationship to others, whether they be romantic or not. It can break because a job ends or because, you know, we leave a city. I mean, there's so many reasons that your heart can break. And for you, though, it was it was specifically a breakup that led you to build this. And what I loved about your story is I just wrote down like finding purpose at the bottom because I so resonate with that experience. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I thought I was living the dream. I was a luxury hotel reviewer. I, you know, had a six figure salary. I had the boyfriend. We were on path to do the thing that I've been chasing my entire life. Date, get married, have children, live happily forever after. And then one day that relationship fell apart quite quickly and quite traumatically And I had put so much of my identity in him and our relationship and this planned future that without it, I completely fell apart. Mm -hmm. And I spiraled into depression, panic attacks. I had thoughts of suicide. And I thought, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And I questioned everything. God, universe, karma. And, you know, fast forward now... I have taken that pain as a catalyst to create the world's first breakup boot camp to help other people who are in this place where they don't feel like they have any hope and they don't feel like the pain is ever going to end. And I know how scary that place is. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just goes to show that sometimes the worst thing that has happened to us can actually become the best thing that has ever happened to you. You know, I love, number one, that you're talking about things that we don't talk about normally, right? So, like, we don't know how to talk about a lot of these topics, but they are so important. I resonated with the the bottom kind of feeling, but also with the plot twist, which is, like, what happens, right? It's like you hit the bottom or you're like, I can either basically let this swallow me or I can turn it into something really powerful. And you did. So, you know, I'd be curious to hear what your feelings are in this experience of, the plans that we create for ourselves, the expectations that we have aligned with those plans, and then how we come out from the bottom when the plot does twist? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think for me personally, that breakup, once I was able to get through the acute pain stage, I realized I had a blank slate and I was able to now paint this canvas the way that I wanted and question the beliefs of my plans, of what the dream is. I got to question all of it and ask, is this really my own or was this passed down from my parents, culture, society, my friends? And before that, I was living on autopilot. I never questioned it. I stuck with the status quo. I was complacent. And it really wasn't until this big shakeup that I thought broke me, but really it broke me open. And it was in the putting back together of the pieces that I finally felt empowered to question this path that I was on. And so I set out to say, okay, 
maybe I'm going to end up with the exact same plan in my head. But at least I will explore. And at the end, that conclusion will be one that I know is my own versus one I've just taken through osmosis. Mm-hmm. And so I I also looked at other times where life didn't turn out according to plan. And I had been laid off multiple times before that. A company didn't have enough money. I got fired, whatever it was. And every single time that time, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing. But it always ended up opening up another door. So when I looked at my history, I actually did have evidence of when one thing didn't work out, it actually opened up another door for me. It created space and opening. And so this is where the spirituality and the faith comes in. I said, I have evidence that life can pivot and it works out for me. And I'm just going to trust that. And that really did help me. I love that you mentioned evidence because I think oftentimes what can happen is when we lean so deep into trust, I mean, don't look back and say, here's how it worked out, even though, you know, the plan shifted. Um, we can sometimes feel like we're sort of untethered, right? So I do think there's a balance between what's the evidence and information that I have and then how much trust can I put in that allows us to feel like we're not uh, we're not misbalanced in one way or the other, right? So yeah. I feel like you have created a balance between trust and evidence that gives us something to actually move forward with. Yeah, and I, I also believe that our lives are shaped by the stories we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it is so important that you are choosing a narrative that's serving your present and your future. And what happens a lot when we go through something that feels like such a catastrophe, whether it is a breakup or being fired, sometimes we create these stories that are filled with cognitive distortions. Mm -hmm. And these are thinking errors that are not rooted in fact, that amplify stress and anxiety. And examples of these cognitive distortions are black and white thinking. So when you say, this always happens to me, this never works out for me, or you're caught up in shoulds, these arbitrary rules that you make for other people or yourselves that are not rooted in reality or blame, or catastrophe. Catastrophizing, yeah, that was, yeah. that's mine. <laughs> Huge, right? And we, yeah. we typically have a few go-to ones. And a tool that I, I'd love to just put out there for anyone, what when you are going through something that you think is so terrible and so bad, is just to write out your story like you'd be just telling your friend, unfiltered, with all your beliefs and everything in there. And then after that, Go back to your story and circle all of the cognitive distortions or assumptions and interpretation and Mm -hmm. look at all the fiction that is created in your story. Then you rewrite your story with just the facts without all of these thinking traps. And you will end up with a story that's rooted in reality and a lot less negatively charged. And that is when you have a starting point to start creating change. I know you started with patterns and your book starts with just like that phrase of like the original wound. And I, I was like, oh, God, <laughs> that's it's it's real. It's too real. I've been seen. Um, but what do you notice as some of the themes around what women are coming with and then what they walk away with? Mm. So my greatest intention for the women when they enter the retreat is for them to they come in with one story and they will leave with a completely different one. And it's true. Like the story from the beginning to the end is completely different. And I could tell people all I want, like 
reframe your story, but it's not until they experience all of these different sessions where they actually start to embody the knowledge and experience and the dots start connecting for them. And so I think there's some major themes that happen, which is in the beginning, there is a lot of attention and focus on the X. So blaming them, pathologizing them. And I tell them that, you know, one of our rules is there's no bashing of the X because if you're still vilifying your ex, blaming your ex, hoping for your ex to change, you're still in a relationship with your ex. You're just Mm -hmm. in a relationship with someone who's not in a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And it's that emotional charge that keeps you hooked. So we really start to shift the focus of energy from what that person did or didn't do to what can I do? What am, what do I have control over? And so that's where we start, start them off at. And what are the ways that you do that? Like how, because I, I mean, we've all had friends and been ourselves the person who's like blaming the ex and upset with the ex. And it seems to take, you know, months, if not sometimes years to move forward. So how do you, what's, what kind of sessions are you putting them through to do this in a few days? Yeah. So there's so many. So after we do this whole story changing mm-hmm. session, right, where we identify the cognitive distortions, it's a very emotional session. So people are typically crying a lot. And I'll teach them about state changes. And so when we are feeling anxiety or the surge of anger, this deep emotional charge, which is typically triggered by something, understanding what's happening in the body is important. So we're flooded with adrenaline and a cortisol. And if we don't do anything but sit with it, it stays in our body. So they practice putting on a timer for two minutes, they shake their body from head to toe, Mm -hmm. they then do some deep breathing, and that really helps calm the nervous system. The next session afterwards is they actually take uh, a session with a somatic movement uh, expert, and they move their stored emotion and and trauma through the body, Mm -hmm. through a series of body movement, um, using voice, using noise, um, and it's a very, like, cathartic session for them. Uh, We bring in an anxiety coach that teaches them all these tricks about anxiety because anxiety is a huge theme of these people who suddenly they don't know what's going to happen in their future and it's very, very scary. And we bring in a psychologist who helps them using cognitive behavioral therapy, working on old beliefs, identifying subconscious beliefs. There's 12 different experts, so there's quite a lot. Um, I would say another theme that's very prevalent is uh, the loss of power. So Mm -hmm. what's interesting is I would say most of the people who come are quite high achieving people um, and they feel very powerful in their careers, but they feel very (laughs) disempowered in the relationship. And we look at how does that happen? And we bring in a, a professional dominatrix who actually has a PhD from Berkeley who teaches on the psychology of power dynamics hmm. and how we lose our power in a relationship. It's like death by a thousand cuts. We address codependency. We address attachment styles. And then we give them tools on how to not only feel empowered in healing from this past relationship, but ensuring that they don't fall into this complete imbalance of power in the future. Mm-hmm. If someone were to sign up for Breakup Bootcamp today, like what is your promise to them when they walk away and, and what they'll be equipped with when they leave? The promise is that they will learn tools 
that will help them emotionally regulate. Uh, they will walk away with an actual strategy on the next steps they need to take. They will walk away with a community of women who have gone through the same thing. And it's they're everyone's quite supportive of each other. You get an accountability partner at the end. But really, it's a positive momentum for healing. And the work is up to you, right? I, I, I caution that if anyone thinks that they're going to just like flip a switch, go to a boot camp or go to a conference or read a book and they're healed, that's definitely uh, a false <laughs> expectation. They'll be very, very disappointed. Um, but it will equip them with a lot of the tools that they need. And it's quite practical so that they can start implementing. And I believe that change can happen in an instant. Mm-hmm. The results might take time to show up, right? And so it's now when they get back into their daily lives, there will be choice points where there's like the dangle of temptation, checking their social media of their ex or going mm-hmm. back, or they can choose differently. That is when the knowledge turns into wisdom is when we actually make different choices. And that's when transformation happens. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you're talking about this feeling of people coming in and saying, you know, after their breakup, they realize that they had lost all this power in their relationship, but you're actually re-empowering their relationship with themselves and being able to say, okay, how do I want to show up, right? Uh, And I'm assuming that that new relationship of power within themselves then helps them in a relationship going forward in not losing power. For a lot of these women, especially those who have been in very toxic or abusive relationships, their nervous system has been in an activated state for Mm. months, years, if not decades. And we teach them about the nervous system and how really when we're in the window of tolerance, we are trusting, we are open, we are like, feel safe to be who we are. And when we are detecting that there's threat cues in these relationships, we go into either hyper or hypo arousal states. Mm -hmm. And this is like fight or flight or freeze and fawn. And so for four days while they're at the retreat, they are in their window of tolerance. And you really, you see a physical change in them from Friday to just even Sunday, they look different. Mm -hmm. So there is something about feeling safe, trusted, not judged, loved, supported, even if it's just for a couple of days that like get them back into like, oh, this is possible. This is inside me. I can connect to this at any time. Here's what inspires me about Amy and about life. If you think about any pain or struggle you've had, what did you do with it? Oftentimes we ignore pain or do our best to push past it. But when you look at some of the most passionate people in the world, their stories lead back to heartbreak of some kind that they chose to channel into service for others. And that can change the world. After the break, Amy digs into the trap of fantasy versus the acceptance of reality. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. 
Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Amy Chan, author of Breakup Bootcamp. When I look at how we got here, some of the things that came out to me around themes were what are our patterns, what are our projections, and what are our fantasies? Um, and so can you talk a little bit about like this um, this kind of like vortex that sucks us into this belief about what love and relationships are supposed to be instead of what they really can be in a, in a I don't want to say healthy or unhealthy, but I'll use that for lack of a better phrase, healthy or unhealthy way. Yeah, I feel like especially in North America, we are indoctrinated to this idea of what love is that's really rooted in fantasy, intensity, fairy tales, highs and lows. You lock eyes and then you feel this feeling and you meet the one. And whether it's a fairy tale, whether it's Sex in the City, whether it's modern day Bridgerton, they are all different packages of the same storyline. That's not love. An activated nervous system, anxiety, familiar wounding patterns is not love. But we are taught that in the media, in the movies, in the love songs. And even if you're logically aware of that, oh, I'm just watching a show. How do you not subconsciously absorb some of these messages? And so when I work with people, I... I recognize that a lot of the times their expectations of what love is, is just, it's a completely unhealthy definition. And so when you think that's what love is, you're going to constantly be seeking this intensity. And then when someone comes along that is kind and stable and secure and shows up for you, um, and that is so foreign to you, especially if you didn't have an upbringing where that was your normal you're going to say, no, that's boring to the calm, loving person. And yes, to the person who's, you know, super giving you a lot of anxiety. And so I think that we need to really take a look at how the culture is impacting our ideas of what love is. And if that definition of love is not serving you, if you are that person who relationship after relationship, you know, seem to get into unhealthy ones, that's probably a sign you need to reassess and redefine what love is to you. Is it typically that you find that people have this idea of uh, these high intensity experiences? And also you said the familiarity is um, not not actually what we might make of it, which we think it's like, oh, I have butterflies and so there's chemistry and so it must be amazing. It's it's something else. Yeah. So there's a, a term that's often used in psychology is attractions of deprivation. 
also known as repetition compulsion, um, where we are drawn to people romantically who can wound us in a very familiar way to how we were wounded as children. Mm. And our psyche subconsciously tries to recreate the scenario of the crime in an attempt to change its ending. So, for example, I grew up with an entrepreneurial father who was very charismatic, um, but he was unavailable physically, emotionally, in every sense of the way. And so, you know, I grew up vying for, in, in my 20s, those DJs and club promoters, mm-hmm. and in my 30s, those tech entrepreneurs. And I was like, oh, there's no pattern here. But if you look <laughs> at the emotional experience, it was exactly the same, like full of anxiety, trying to earn their love, trying to edit myself so that maybe they would come around and love me and constantly chasing and pining for their time. And subconsciously, I was hoping that if only I tried more, did more, showed that I, I could be the perfect girlfriend, so I could be the perfect wife, then I would get that love I never got as a as a child Mm. and when I realized that it was such an aha moment because when I felt this intense attraction to people when I was dating instead of me going like oh yes this is a green light I'm like "Mm, I think this is a red light Mm. what's going on here and instead of feeding that that chemistry by diving into a three or four year relationship you know, I, maybe just three months. <laughs> and then eventually like, you know what? No, I know where this is going to end. I feel the chemistry and I'm not going to go there. Mm. And we romanticize chemistry so much that it's like he- even hearing you say that, I'm like, God, that word, that word's supposed to mean such good things. But really, it's like it's almost like the chemistry in your body is shouting to you saying like, don't do this instead of absolutely run this way. Yeah, you're on love drugs in the beginning. I mean, it's Mother Nature's way of having you continue, you know, being with this person. And Mm -hmm. those love drugs wear off. And the research shows that between 12 to 18 months is when that boost of dopamine and oxytocin, they start to level off. And Mm -hmm. then you hit a different stage of love from the passionate stage of love to the companionate stage of love, Mm -hmm. uh, where there is less dopamine. And when people don't know that, they think, oh, there's something wrong. Why don't I feel these butterflies anymore. No, there's nothing wrong. There's a natural progression of the relationship because the chemicals are changing. And it just means that you can't rely on biology to do the work for you anymore. You need to do the work to continue to have passion and excitement and romance and presence in the relationship. Mm. And literally no one teaches us this. No. (laughs) Never. It's like it's just supposed to be this way forever and ever. And if it's not, then to your point, we say something's wrong. So we we basically are subconsciously seeking out our original wound. And so we bring people into our spaces and find this chemistry. I have quotes, chemistry, um, and then try and rewrite the story. What happens after, like, is there a point where we consciously realize we aren't rewriting the story and then we just go back into the old original pattern too? Or what does that look like as the relationship? relationship continues? Unfortunately, unless you actually stop and realize like, oh, this is a pattern playing out and you do something to shift it, you're going to continue the pattern um, because it looks like it's different. So the people look very different. You're like, oh Mm -hmm. no, but it's the emotional experience. And so yeah, you're not going to jump off of this hamster wheel until you have a realization and you actually take action to start to make difference. Do you think there's like a, I feel like there's a generational thing in here, just being a millennial growing up with like all the fairy tales and stories that we grew up with. And, you know, it was like Beauty and the Beast and Lion King during my time. And um, 
you know, from a young age saying like, oh, yeah, this is how love works. Everything else isn't really love, at least in North America. Um, But also, you know, as I'm thinking about how this spreads out to other things like jobs, um, like the work that we find, it's like Mm. you have your high moment and then all of a sudden it goes all the way back down. You go, oh, something's not working. You start looking for problems. Your negativity bias comes in and you're you're like pinpointing all the terrible things that are wrong and then decide that you've got to get out of it. Or, you know, even, you know, I moved to a new apartment in September. I was obsessed. And then at some point in February, I was like, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> right. And so it's this, I feel like I felt love drugs in a lot of different areas of my yeah. life that these chemicals will die down, but that that doesn't mean that the thing is no longer the right thing for you. Like, how do we how do we discern when it's really wrong and when it's just us moving into a different place uh, physiologically? I love that you brought that up, Leah, because I think what you're explaining is how human beings, we adapt. And they've actually done studies on um, when someone wins the lottery, you'd be like, oh my God, they're going to be so much more happier. And they see that there's a spike in their happiness levels. And then it goes, drops back right down to whatever the baseline was before. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, when someone loses their leg, they also did Mm -hmm. a study on this, that they'd be so, so unhappy. Um, And then they see a spike of like, they go really down and and maybe feel situational depression. And then they go back to baseline. So human beings, we adapt. And I think that to know if you're in the right thing, whether it's a relationship or whether it's a career, it's really getting clear on what are your values and ensuring that you're staying within your values, I think is really important. When it comes to partnership, I believe there's four pillars. And 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 this is if you want a committed partnership. And one pillar is, like I said, compatibility, which is values and vision. You both want the same thing ultimately in life. Um, it doesn't mean that you have the same hobbies. So they've done research. Having the same hobbies actually doesn't impact your level of happiness in, in a long-term relationship. Then there's timing. If it's a perfect person at the wrong time, it's the wrong person right now. I think that there's sometimes you can meet someone who you're like, oh my gosh, we have the same values. We want the same things. We have a connection. But maybe they just got out of a brutal divorce and they actually don't have space because they're figuring out how it's going to work with their children and all these things. The timing is off, right? Mm-hmm. So timing is like space in your life or mm-hmm. the other person's other person to actually have the ability to create a partnership. Because again, it's not just this like autopilot love drug roller coaster that just goes on forever, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, and with timing, it's like you meet someone, you think because of this quote unquote connection or, you know, whether it's a soulmate or whatever it is that you think is happening, that they're going to change even though you may know and they may know that timing's not right. So we also yeah. make up that like, oh, because of this connection, timing's going to become right. But you're saying it doesn't become right. I think hanging on to future potential is a recipe for disaster. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you can wait it out. I just don't recommend it because I have not seen that that works out. I find that it puts you in a very disempowering position. Mm-hmm. So we talked about compatibility. We talked mm-hmm. about timing. And the third would be there has to be some sort of connection, whether like some sort of chemistry. And I would make sure people understand that sometimes the brain takes some time to cognitively process what type of connection it is. So if you're dating, you don't need this 10 out of 10 chemistry. And again, often that 10 out of 10 chemistry 
is typically an indicator of like a past wounding pattern or trauma bond versus this is the one. Um, but if you are having fun and you want to see the person again, that means there's dopamine there that's motivating mm. you. So go on another date. So we don't need to like go on the first date and feel like, oh my God, sparks didn't fly. So I'm never seeing this person again. Yeah, uh, definitely not. Again, okay. the only question to ask yourself on the first few dates, am I having fun? Do I want to see them again? If it's a yes, there's a connection there. What type of connection? You don't know yet. Mm. And then the fourth thing that I think a lot of people that I work with tend to ignore is there needs to be mutuality, meaning there are two people who are equally invested in building. And now what I mean is on an overall sense, right? Because you might meet someone and maybe they're starting a company and so they're really busy. And so they're not putting in as much during that time. Uh, and then you're the rock for a bit. Mm -hmm. Or you make more money and they're not because they're going to school and then you kind of take on a little bit more of the financial burden, whatever it is. But overall, there's a balance. Um, and what I see often, especially at the people who come to break a boot camp, is there is this complete unbalance where they take three steps to make up for the lack of steps that their partner is taking. Mm -hmm. And over time, they continue just putting their foot on the gas pedal of giving more, doing more, being the martyr, whatever it is. And that other person is just like hanging back and this power imbalance just gets more and more and the resentment builds more and more. And so mutuality means that both of you don't just have the intention of wanting a relationship because I hear this all the time. I want a relationship, but they don't have the capacity or the ability. Hmm. And so you need intention, capacity and ability in order to build a relationship. And so with these four things, compatibility, timing, chemistry, mutuality, are we talking about these things in our relationships? So here's my like gripe. I think we spend so much time in school. We spend so much time getting educated, but we don't get educated on how to have a relationship with ourselves or with each other. And yeah. so I love that you're doing this because you are helping people get educated on how to have a relationship with themselves, but also each other. And so I, I, you know, how many times have we heard people say like, oh, our relationship broke down because of a lack of communication? Mm -hmm. Are you finding that people are actually having these conversations or are they just on this like chemistry, dopamine high and then wondering how they got where they got when the break? up happens. See, well, I work with people when it's not working out, right? Yeah. So they're coming to me when it's all falling apart or they they are wanting to date again and they don't know how. So yeah, it's whatever they've been doing, whatever they've been taught has not been working, which is mm -hmm. why they end up working with me. Um, so yeah, I feel like the educational system is not teaching you how do you date? Like, how do you like build healthy connection? Um, <laughs> how are you sure you don't like give away your power? Um, they're not teaching you these things. And so the people that are learning these things, and I think it's great that it's a lot more available now. Like you can listen to podcasts, you can read books, there's all these things. So people are getting more familiar with it, but we're still not there yet. Yeah. Well, and women are coming in at a disadvantage, right? Because of the way history has been set up. Most of us have been trained that we are supposed to allow so many things to happen and we don't have our own lives or we weren't supposed to have had our own lives or didn't need them. And so now there's 
there's this rebalance because we're getting educated. And so life life is changing. Um, so let's talk about, you know, you talk in the book about a new kind of love, which I, I thought was so interesting and um, kind of redefining our relationship to relationships. So what does that look like? Like, tell me about how people are redefining their lives after going through breakup boot camp. Yeah, I I think that our lives are a result of the beliefs that we have. And if the belief that you have is that life is about creating this happily ever after, this love story with someone else, this prince or princess or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that they realize that this love story begins and ends with you. And you've always been the main character. And all these people the exes, the lovers, the friends, whatever it is, they're critical to the plot, they're characters, but you are the hero of the story. And each one of these are just different chapters. Mm -hmm. And so when you reframe your idea and your belief system of what love is supposed to be, and instead of it being like finding this person that's going to be your missing piece, and instead really doing whatever it is in your life, creating hobbies, creating community, helping, nourishing yourself, being in integrity with your values to be your own whole piece, then I think it changes not only the belief, but the the results in the story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the story ends where, you know, I am friends with my ex now. Um, I am in a partnership. And that's not the ending. Because now like I have the tools, I'm so resilient, I am so strong, Mm -hmm. that I know whatever life throws at me, whatever pivot, whether I'm in a relationship or not, whether I lose my career or not, whatever, I will be able to get back onto solid ground. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's very different. It uh, enables you to love differently as well. Because Mm -hmm. when you are basing your identity or livelihood on someone else that's completely out of your control, it's scary. And when you know that you'll always be okay and you always have that love and connection inside you and you have the tools you can practice to get back on your feet, you can love Mm -hmm. fully, deeply with two feet in. Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't work out, It's not going to kill you. It's Mm -hmm. not going to break you. It's going to bruise you, but you'll heal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like we have this uh, this fear of pain generally in society. Right. So like if I'm if I'm not happy, then something's wrong. So I think you're alluding to like the, you know, the resilience factor of saying I can go two feet in because I know enough about myself and I know enough about the tools that I have and, you know, the person I want to be that I can come back from this. Um, and that, like, sadness is okay. Pain is okay. The only thing certain is that that will happen in life if we're living fully. So with that, I would love to hear your answers to these three questions. So the first is better humans are. Better humans are humans who are compassionate, who practice compassion with themselves and with other people. And better work is? Better work is work where you create your meaning and your fulfillment. And it's not necessarily in the tasks that you're doing, but it's in the energy and passion that you're putting into it. Totally agree. And a better world has? A better world has people who have healed and are healing their hearts. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Thank you so much. That was author of Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, Amy Chan. One big thing before we go. My favorite quote from Amy is that a broken heart is like a weapon. And again, it's not just heartbreak from romantic relationships. So many things can break your heart. And because of this, the impact of a broken heart isn't just contained to romantic relationships. The way I think about it is hurt people hurt people and healed people heal people. So we've got to face the hard stuff if we want to grow and be better for others. Professional help is seriously meaningful in this area, so I'd recommend finding a great therapist. I don't know where I'd be without mine. If today's episode resonated with you, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can always find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I will see you next week.